0: Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So these rustic little stories of Jesus are about 2,000 years old now, but it's surprising how timely and timeless they turn out to be. In every land of every age, the poor gather around the town square, hoping for temporary work from the wealthier landowners and estate managers, because in every land in every age, the most surplus commodity on the market is always human labor. There is always more workers than work to do, especially in agricultural areas where the work is sporadic and blotchy and bumpy. At orchards and vineyards and farms, you can't hire permanent help when you only need it at harvest time so you get by with migrants and temporary workers. And so among the tomato patches of Bakersfield, California, and among the orange groves of Indian River, Florida, they understand Jesus' little story. In the apple orchards of Washington, or the cherry orchards of Michigan, or the strawberry patches of Illinois, they understand instinctively Jesus' little story. In 1939, John Steinbeck wrote movingly of people like this in what might be the finest novel ever written by an American, The Grapes of Wrath. And so the vintner and the migrants in Jesus' little story are among the commonest characters in our shared experience in every land, in every age. This vintner says Jesus goes to the town square at dawn at 6 o'clock in the morning and tells some guys that he'll pay them a day's wage for 12 hours of work, a denarius. That's what a denarius was, a common wage for 12 hours of work. Let's say by current valuations, a grape picker would make about $100 working all day. So the vintner says, pick my grapes for 12 hours and I'll give you $100. At nine o'clock, it becomes clear that the present crew isn't going to be able to finish the harvest by the end of the day. So the vintner goes back to the town square and hires some more help, and he tells them, I'll pay you what's fair. He does this again at noon and at three o'clock, I'll pay you what's fair, work for me for the rest of the day. And he even goes out a final time at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, one hour before sundown, and says, Work for me for one hour, and I will pay you what's fair. And then at the end of the day, of course, the vintner sets up a folding chair and a card table and a cash box and begins doling out the day's wages. Famously, he starts with the stragglers who've worked but one hour in the cool of the day. Now, apparently, all this vintner has in his cash box are $100 bills. He forgot to bring change, the numbskull, and so he gives the one hour workers $100. Now, this guy is crazy. He is a terrible businessman. No matter how precious the vintage he will be able to press from these grapes, you can't make a profit if you're paying your grape pickers $100 an hour. The guys who've been working for 12 hours through the heat of the day begin rubbing their hands together in glee because they do a swift calculation. If these guys made $100 an hour, that means we get $1,200. But famously, of course, in this little story, whether you've been working for 12 hours in the scorching heat or a single hour in the cool of the day, you get the same thing. This landowner treats everyone equally. A day's pay for a day's work or a day's pay for an hour's work. This vintner and these migrants are familiar to us. They jump off the pages of the Bible into our lived daily experience. We encounter them in every land, in every age. And this vintner is eccentric only in his generosity. I don't know if it's true around here, but in Connecticut, the commonest place for day laborers to gather to look for work is a Home Depot parking lot. Because then carpenters and painters and landscapers can go to a single place to get their lumber and their drywall and their paint and their leaf blowers and the guys to do the work. In a good month, these guys can make about $1,400. And most of them try to send about $300 home to their families in Latin America because that's where most of them are from. But of course... Jesus' little story is not about the relative generosity or stinginess of landscapers and farmers. Jesus has a larger point to make, a theological point. Jesus wants to tell us what kind of universe we live in. Jesus wants to teach us about the unfairness, the extravagance, but also the unfairness of God's grace. He wants to get the point across that whether you've been working in the vineyard for 12 hours in the heat of the day, or shuffling around for an hour in the cool of the evening, it's all the same to God. Jesus wants us to get the point that whether prostitute or priest, leper or lawyer, derelict or doctor, we're all recipients of God's lavish largesse. When the guys who'd been working for 12 hours see that the guys who've been working for one hour get exactly the same as they do, they grumble, Jesus tells us. You've made them equal to us who've borne the heat of the day. But they're not equally equal to us. We've worked harder than they. It's a rational objection. I share it. No one should get their money for nothing or their chicks for free, as the great rock group Dire Straits put it in the 1980s. We got to move these refrigerators, we got to move these color TVs, and look at them yo-yos playing guitar on the MTV. That ain't working. Maybe get a blister on your finger, maybe get a blister on your thumb. Money for nothing and chicks for free. It just isn't right. And I identify with these guys who've been working 12 hours in the vineyard. I'm an eldest child. I am compliant and obedient. I like to think I work hard. We all do. We work hard five days a week, and then on Saturday we go to the kids' little league games. And then on Sunday we come to pray at church. We pay our taxes and our church pledge. We try to be good citizens of the realm. And it upsets us when some bozo who's led a dissolute... Existence for years and then has a deathbed confession like the thief on the cross waltzes into the kingdom of God ahead of us. We believe in a day's pay for a day's work. We don't go for that communist nonsense about from each according to his ability and to each according to his need. And it bugs us when somebody gets something for nothing. The slacker who gets rich quick by picking the right lottery number, or the ex-con who becomes a millionaire by slapping rhymed couplets together that nobody in suburban Lake Forest could possibly understand, or the high school student who never opens a book in four years of high school but then gets into Princeton because his daddy or granddaddy went there, or the guy who drops out of Harvard by starting a little Software company like Microsoft or an internet company like Facebook. Did you know that Stephen Hawking was a lazy student in college? He estimates that he spent about 100 hours a semester while he was studying, while he was at Oxford, and that's about an hour a day. And still, he knows more about the universe than the rest of us combined and makes millions of dollars writing books that everybody reads but nobody understands, it's just not fair. (laughs) We're Americans. We work harder than most. Our vacations are shorter. Our days are longer. We retire later than the citizens of, oh, let's say, Madrid or Athens. A day's pay for a day's work. Nobody should get a day's pay for an hour's work. But you see, that's just the thing about living in America. The story might remind us that just by virtue of being in this place, we're getting a day's pay for an hour's work. Just by virtue of being born in this land of outlandish bounty, wise founders, glorious constitution, fair laws, and God's unwavering providence, we've already received a day's pay for an hour's work. Have you ever spent any time in the developing world? Maybe you should go with Sylvie to Haiti in October. Fifteen years or so ago, a Presbyterian church in New Jersey started a school for poor kids in Honduras. Public education is free in Honduras, but these kids were so poor that they couldn't afford books or uniforms, which aren't free, and most of them anyway, had to work for a living to support their families. So this church in New Jersey set up this school for about 150 kids, kindergarten through sixth grade. And these kids needed an education. But as soon as these Americans started working with these Hondurans, it became clear that they really, really needed a dentist too. And so this church started sending teams of dentists and hygienists down to Honduras for two weeks a year to give dental exams and cleanings, to all 150 kids and their teachers. They set up a generator and some plastic tubing and they get some portable dental chairs and drills, forced air and water, and they turn a classroom into a dental clinic for two weeks a year. It's the most remarkable thing. My wife, Kathy, is a hygienist, so she's gone several times, and I go too, but it's not quite clear what I'm supposed to be doing. Preach a sermon in English, so I just go to watch. And every time we meet these kids, we meet friends who are just as good and just as smart and just as hardworking as we are, but by an accident of birth, we'll never know the same opportunity. You know where all these kids are coming from who are filling the immigration detention centers around Chicago? Many of them are from Honduras which has been overrun by drug gangs the last five years or so and has the highest murder rate in the world. So these people face a stark choice. Join a drug gang, get to America, or die. And that's been true. This wish to come to this land since the beginning of our time When Giovanni di Verrazzano approached on the American shore on his expedition of 1524, he could smell the cedars of the East Coast, a hundred leagues out to sea. Almost a hundred years later, in 1609, the sailors on Henry Hudson's half-moon were disarmed by the sweet fragrance of the Jersey shore while they were still at sea. And when they traveled farther up the north... Later, the Hudson River, they sailed through enormous beds of floating flowers. No one had ever seen such natural bounty. There was nothing like this in Europe. It was Eden. It was Shangri-La. It was paradise. And we've been enjoying those blessings ever since. So what have we that's not been given to us? What? Maybe in high school, while your friends were chilling, you were studying hours on end so that you could get into a decent school. Maybe you worked your way through college with two jobs and four hours of sleep a night. Maybe in law school or medical school, you attended class 30 hours a week and studied for 50 more. Maybe when you were young in your career at the bank, you worked 100 hours a week and spent many nights sleeping at the office. Maybe you're a teacher who stays up till one o'clock in the morning polishing lesson plans to grab the attention of your indifferent students. Maybe with a husband working hard at his career and traveling the world, you raised four kids practically as a single mother. Still, even then, don't you see, it's all grace from the beginning. A day's pay for an hour's work with all we've been given before we started to work. At the heart of the universe, there is this lavish, generous, indiscriminate grace which does not notice that some of us have been working for 12 hours in the heat of the day and a few others shuffling around in the cool of the evening for an hour. This grace does not distinguish between prostitute and priest, leper or lawyer, derelict or doctor. The gift of life itself, sunsets, thousands of them, each one more glorious than the last, Someone who loves you. A child or children. Work to do and something to give back. A friend who will stick with you no matter what. Grace. Always and everywhere grace. In the beginning grace. At the end grace. And grace every moment in between. This is the love at the heart of the universe which holds you fast. Way more than any of us deserve. A day's pay for an hour's work. Thanks be to God.